welcome to the panel, Content Creators as Entrepreneurs. I'm Michelle, Program Manager for Dogfish Accelerator. And I'm going to let these guys introduce themselves in a moment. Uh, my name is Noah Lang. I'm a producer and a co-founder of Young Gunner Films, one of the eight teams in the Accelerator. Uh, we're in the lean startup focused and uh, direct to fan friendly. Uh, we're really interested in uncrossing the revenue streams. And the kind of films we're interested in are, interested in are uh, sort of cerebral genre films. I'm Michael Malamidoff. I am a filmmaker as well as the president of a company called Range Life Entertainment. Range Life is a production, exhibition, and marketing company that organizes nationwide college campus film screening tours in partnership with studios, distributors, as well as major brands to build audience and exposure for films and for products. Hi, my name is Allie Esslinger. I'm a producer and I'm the founder of Section 2, which is a new streaming and distribution platform for lesbian-related content, kind of like a Netflix for lesbians. Um, we're working with individual filmmakers as well as distributors to market curated, high-quality lesbian content and get it to fans across multiple platforms and as easy as possible in conjunction with that elusive theatrical release. <laughs> Uh, I'm Ryan Koo. I'm a writer and director. Uh, I have a project called Manchild, which is in the Sundance Screenwriters Lab last week. I'm the founder of a filmmaking website called No Film School, and I'm the co-founder of a production company called Exit Strategy, which Zach will tell you about. I'm the other co-founder. Hi, I'm Zach Lieberman. I'm the other co-founder of Exit Strategy New Media. Uh, some might call us a transmedia production company. Um, we have got a graphic novel, feature film, video game property that we're working on and an interactive murder mystery that we're also creating some technology for that we're going to put on the next generation video game platforms. Hi, I'm Andrew Hauser. I'm the, uh, one of the producers and co-founders of Will House Pictures. Uh, we have a slate of four uh, narrative films and we look for films that serve uh, underserved communities and have uh, a, a uh, metric of which we, want, uh, we measure quality films, and we, but we're looking for things that uh, we believe can reach niche audiences. Uh, the first thing I want to really dive into is the elusive business plan concept. Um, to uh, your comment in the back, whoever you were, there's a saying in the startup world that if you build it, they may not come. And that's something that we subscribe to at Dogfish. Um, if you're building a, a tech service, a, a piece of software, it's all well and good, uh, but if you don't know how to get it to the customer, if you don't know how to take it to market, it's worthless. So. I want to ask you guys, what have you been working on? What, what goes into a business plan? And how are you taking ownership of bringing your products to market? So Range Life Entertainment is actually a company that has been fully operational for the past five years. Uh, in the past two years, we stepped away from our touring and marketing business in part to produce a feature film called Awful Nice, which some of you may have seen at the 2013 South by Southwest Film Festival. That film has since been acquired by Screen Media, and that has triggered the relaunch of our tour in conjunction with our activities at Dogfish. So what we have been working on is reactivating a homegrown network of 250 college campuses, proprietary campuses where we have access to the college's entire listserv, uh, and thus a wrapped college community that can come to our film. Uh, we are using these college audiences in very close-knit partnerships with brands as well as with our distributor to build awareness for that film in advance of its video-on-demand release. We are going nationwide on February 4th, and the film will be rolling out across the country on college campuses for a month before we hit theatrical in March. 
Um, yeah, Young Gunner films were pretty focused on audience building from as early as a stage as possible. Uh, so to that end, we're making a science fiction feature film called Diverge, uh, and we've been basically building out kind of these data analytics to understand where our audience is, uh, how best to reach them, what platforms they're most likely to watch the film on. Uh, so this way, you know, everybody wants to get a great distribution deal, um, but we kind of follow the mantra of the acceptable distribution deal that's available now is direct to fan. Um, so we're interested in uncrossing the revenue stream so we can work with companies like a VHX or Gumroad so that we can have that direct relationship with our fans, sort of a ongoing crowdfunding kind of mentality. Before you pass on the mic. Uh, can you give everyone a little crash course in the part of your business model that's the lean startup approach and how you're applying that? You touch on it, but... Um, I mean, there are all of these kind of free, great technologies you can use, like Kickoff Labs and, and things like that. And also spending a little bit of money on things like Facebook ads is huge to driving traffic. So kind of just bootstrapping really early on rather than you know, assuming later that you can find your audience, just doing it as early as possible. So there are a lot of great tools to do that, and uh, that's kind of been part of the orientation we've been developing throughout the program, and uh, we're still doing it today, and you know, we're actively in production, so it's, it's kind of an interesting balance trying to, you know, balance making the film, making sure it's a great film, with, uh, you know, engaging an audience and building that audience, the, the tribe that's gonna stick around. With Section 2, um, on the opposite end of the spectrum from Range Life, we were just a kernel of an idea when we applied to Dogfish. So a lot of our business plan and business model has been weighing, um, building out the platform, going with the tech, or we're focusing on content. And what we, we kept trying to convince ourselves that it was chicken and egg, but really it's not. We, in order to do all the things we want to do and what the potential there is with our audience, um, we're working on both facets at the same time, but we're leaning on, the, our, the biggest part of our business plan is partnerships. We're working with VHX and Gumroad as well as we acquire and market films and web series that we really like and make them available for sale on these pre-existing platforms that handle analytics and handle the tech and the um, the actual software piece of it. So what we're doing in the first year is called a spotlight series, which really helps us get all the kinks out. Um, we're going to be acquiring and showcasing one piece of premium content a month, and then from within our content creator network, we're going to be producing ancillary content behind the scenes videos and basically just offering ourselves up as an additional marketing source and point of sale for all the films that we love and are being made so that we can both start to make reven have revenue as early as possible but also really get to know the content creators and build an audience based on their pre-existing followers and just create by the time we're ready to launch our platform in June 2015 have our own audience that is now just a combined um, a combined group of people who love all the same content creators that we do. Uh, first of all, how many people here know what Dogfish Accelerator is? Okay. Oh, did I not explain? So maybe, Michelle, maybe we should do that and then I'll think about my answer while you're defining that. Now they're testing me on my, uh, on my elevator pitch. So we're a business development lab. We work with entrepreneur content creators to help them develop the business opportunities behind their projects. So we give seed capital to these teams and a three-month program where they work with mentors to build out these opportunities. So, you know, I think one of the things you'll see between various teams here and just people working in film in general is just uh, 
exploiting multiple revenue streams. Um, you know, as a writer-director, you're often working on your project for years and you may not get paid on that during that process or you may never get paid on that. So you have to have either a trade, be that a cinematographer or an editor that you're doing for hire or you have to have these sort of entrepreneurial ideas to create other revenue streams that will allow you to pursue your projects. So, uh, you know, the first one that I had was No Film School, which is a blog that I started four years ago. Um, and I wrote a thousand blog posts myself, and I lived out of a suitcase for a year. But that, the idea was that I could build something um, for very little money, and that that would become a business, and that would allow me to work on my screenplay, which I've been working on for three years, and haven't been paid anything for. Um, so I did that, and then I have a um, company with Zach here, and we have two projects in the Accelerator, one of which also has multiple revenue streams, and actually they both have multiple revenue streams. So one of them is a uh, murder mystery on a subway, and it's sort of a transmedia interactive project, but it also has a technology platform that goes along with it. So when you're building a platform that has uh, potential licensing and uh, other applications that go beyond a traditional feature film. And our, our other property is a, um, it's a broad market, kind of G-rated kids property. And the idea was, uh, I have a long background in big corporate media, MTV and Sony. Um, I had a lot of success there. But I saw the opportunity to do it differently. I saw the opportunity, it's 2013 when I got, well, shit, 2012 when I started, uh, 2014 now. And there's an opportunity to create, uh, to find an audience in a major way and create a really lucrative business uh, that has never really been uh, available before. All the tools that we're talking about here really allow you to find an audience, have the audience pay for your content, and actually create a sustainable business. So the beginning of it was, okay, how do I make something out of nothing? So I started with a graphic novel, found an incredible illustrator in the UK that I've been working with for the past two and a half years, and you know, just took one step in front of the other, slowly but surely have a beautiful product that we're incredibly proud of, and using it to capitalize the film, using it to capitalize the video game, all the while taking the audience from one property property to the next. Um, and in the end, I think we'll have an incredibly lucrative project. Um, at Wheelhouse, uh, the projects, both, both myself and my business partner, Jessica, are, are just producers, and, and the projects we bring on board, you know, have their, are usually writers, directors, and, and at, at the moment are usually first or second time directors. And so, you know, having, having been working in the industry for a couple of years, we, you know, we recognize that on the budget levels we're talking about, you know, the old model, as others have alluded to, of, of coming to a place like Sundance or, and then trying to sell your movie off of that, um, you know, MGs are dropping down and, and it's really a lot more difficult that even if you make a great product to, to find your audience. So uh, our philosophy there is, you know, we believe that every film has an audience and it's about almost taking the, uh, the, the startup approach of trying to find your early adopters. So with each of our films, uh, we, we, we're looking at that right now. We're reaching out to uh, companies and charities and partnerships that are a, a good fit for the film, trying to get early press, and just get to a position that, you know, we still believe in the old model to a certain extent, but get to a position that when the film is done and we come to a Sundance or a South By or, or whichever festival, when we sit down to, with distributors, you can you can say, we already have these this many people who, who are interested in watching the film who have committed to, say, buying it through a pre-order sale or, or something like that. So you just have, rather than it just be a, whether they like the film, whether they think they can find an audience, you, you've done the early work to kind of prove to them that the audience does exist and is out there.
Thank you. Um, so Andrew, before I let you off the hook, there a question came up the other day in a panel about how do you aggregate an audience for a narrative film. It's a lot easier around a documentary film that has a built-in uh, community that already cares about the issue or topic. So as one of the more traditional filmmaking teams in the program um, doing narrative projects, what specifically, can you, can you give us some examples from your projects, how you're building those communities? Sure. I mean, you know, the, as you said, the, the, the obvious thing is always with, like, VHX has a list of their most successful films and the majority of them are documentary. Um, and if they're not, they are the genre movies, which is, speaks to what Noah's talking about. But I do think that, that you know, we, we all make these films because we believe that there is an audience for the films and we believe that they should be made. And I think you really, you can identify that. Um, so, for instance, we have a movie right now entitled My First Kiss. It's a coming-of-age thriller about a girl with autism who lives in a group home, and it's told entirely subjectively from her perspective. So it's um, really trying to give a sense of what it's like to be this girl and, and how her autism helps her see the world. Um, so, you know, immediately there, you know, there's charity partnerships. There's a, there, there's a huge aut autism community out there, which which we're tapping into and talking to. And it kind of the interesting thing is it has a two-fold approach, which is that on the one hand, this you know puts the film in front of them. We can get early press. We can get the people within that community to to make to, to get to get excited about the film. But it also helps our writer director make the film more authentic. Because I think in identifying a niche audience, the other thing you want to you know, be careful with is, particularly when you're dealing with something, a subject like this, where it's a, you know, it's, it's a condition and it has a lot of press about it, and so there's a lot written about it, is you want to make something that feels true to those communities and is, you know, is authentic to those people. Because that's when they're going to get excited about it. That's when um, they are going to talk about it with their friends and ultimately you can hopefully build the community out from that. Um, I do think you've got to be careful because obviously we're talking about an art form and you don't, you know, we're, we're very hesitant that we don't want to push it too far and I don't want to be in a position where the movie we're making is being governed by these groups. But I do think it's an organic process and I do think it's a conversation that happens back and forth and I think it's a partnership. You know, we have, for instance, with that film, we already have... Uh, a very you know a small publication, an autism publication, who's very excited about the film, and they're excited to do two or three articles with us leading up to production and afterwards to really build the community and really get um, get people excited and feel like they're a part of. And it's almost taking you know everyone everyone knows about crowdfunding now, and everyone sees that you know the the, the part that's missing from that, and then things we can take away from it, separate from just raising money, is is really building a community and building. Uh, people really feel they're part of the movie, and I don't think it's just about them donating money to that. I think, you know, if they feel like they're there from the beginning, they can really, um, really identify with it. So, thank you. Um, in terms of the things that you can present to investors to show that there's an opportunity, uh, one of the best things you can do is show traction uh, or size of market. Allie. I've never been more impressed uh, by anyone uh, with, sorry, I've never been more impressed by market research, essentially, <laughs> than I was with. That's not as good. <laughs> 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 Traction will come. Um, so can you share with us some of the places you went to find the information that you used to show 
how big this opportunity really is behind Section 2. Yeah, so we're working in the lesbian, in the lesbian community, female queer um, audiences as our core target demographic. Um, one thing we're really doing is separating the LBs and Ts away from the Gs um, because we feel like gay men are so highly represented even within the LGBT community that it's, um, it's time for a space specifically for the female queer community to have a place to showcase their films. So it was, it's been tricky, like there aren't LGBT answers on the census yet and there, aren't, um, there certainly aren't specifically L answers um, out there necessarily. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of market research. People have in the last few years started to do more LGBT intensive research from like a brand perspective. So we were able to access some of that through favors and a lot of Googling. Um, and then we're just, uh, we're working from the perspective of just like my inner compass, my experiences going out and looking for films and using traffic on lesbian related blogs and magazines and subscription rates and things like that. We've really pieced together a lot of different outlets for information. But um, what, might, what might surprise you is that in the United States alone, um, there's 56 and a half million women who have either self-identified as a lesbian, had a same-sex relationship, or had a same-sex experience in their lifetime. So that's a third of the population of women in the United States. So it's a big market. Um, it took some time to realize that, and it's still taking a lot of effort to kind of convince people of that. But, you know, I mean, there's a lot of women, and it's been, it's been fun to discover it, and it's been great meeting people who have the same interests and figuring out case studies to show the traction for web series that, web series um, as a new sort of phenomenon on the web, even before web series were a thing, the most highly watched web series were all lesbian related. Um, so, so there. That's one I've never heard from you before. You, she always has new, it's incredible. <laughs> um, so once you identify this market that's there, this opportunity, how do you reach that market? That's the, that's the million dollar question. What, um, in launching your companies, what kind of messaging uh, has been useful? How have you discovered the way to interact with with the market? I think something that Andrew was saying was about how you know crowdfunding isn't just about, or the, the audience building isn't just about crowdfunding, it's about getting people on your side from the beginning. Um, so I'm making a, a basketball related film and when I ran, when I did, when I ran a crowdfunding campaign, the initial supporters, they sort of become your uh, your street team in a lot of ways, so they can help reach out and spread the word about this project that they're that they're a fan of. Um, and I think I shared this in the panel the other day, so sorry if I'm repeating myself. <laughs> but you know, reaching out to people in the basketball community was something that I could only do as one person um, so much. But the community of people who were already on board doing it ended up getting uh, Phil Jackson to back the campaign, and that gave us more credibility in the basketball world. And that was all through uh, Twitter and social media. I had no connections there at all. So just getting that initial, you know, however many fans it is, it could be a dozen or a hundred or thousands, um, and then them sort of being your, um, you know, them doing outreach on your behalf can really help grow your audience that way. Just like it, it doesn't really help to say, my film is for everyone 18 to 35. Um, range life. Michael, you, ha you guys have done a great job 
coming to understand the millennial college-aged market. So what works with them? Uh, what works them? Well, you know, I, I think the key uh, with millennials is that they, while they love products and they love to discover content, they hate being advertised to. And so a lot of our process was about identifying organic ways of connecting with our audience. And when our company started, we were literally five guys driving around the country in a van with a hard drive full of movies. And we, we released our first film in 2008. It was a micro-budget comedy called Box Elder. We took it to 30 markets, and our, our marketing techniques ranged from handing out postcards and flyers on campuses, um, along with beers, to we literally would walk, this was a real hit for us, we would walk into cafeterias and knock over bus trays of food to create a commotion and draw all the attention in the room to us. Uh, it was about creating a disruption, it was about creating uh, a sense of excitement about who we were, uh, about understanding that there was nothing too outrageous and nothing too weird, uh, as long as we were making a connection that was memorable. And as a result of this, uh, we not only turned a profit on our first feature film by taking it out on tour, uh, we actually were acquired by Netflix for five times the average acquisition cost of an independent domestic comedy. And it was because Netflix understood that we had located an audience that we could hold on to. Um, college students, millennials, are tremendous early adopters. 84% of them uh, reward loyalty in, in the brands that they love. And we were determined to create a brand identity around range life from the beginning. Um, so that was really important to us. We understood that we were more than filmmakers. We understood that we ourselves were a product, and that product meant making messes in cafeterias and wearing kimonos uh, and, and doing whatever it took to get people to take notice of our products. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so there's, there's another saying, a piece of conventional wisdom in the startup world that your idea is worthless, it's all about execution. And that's something that James and I took to heart um, when we were selecting the teams for the program. We, we, we picked you all based on you, the team, not your specific project ideas. So I wanna talk a little bit about the importance of team building. How did you all come to your teams? Uh, how did you pick your co-founders? And what lessons have you learned about forming these, uh, these relationships. Maybe Zach and Ryan, if you wanna. Ryan and I met at MTV. I was a senior producer. Ryan was a senior designer there. Um, and this was in 2007. We saw an opportunity to create a new kind of content, which was a web series. And that was, you know, back when YouTube was just kids getting kicked in the balls or cats on skateboards or whatever it was. Um, and we, the first time we ever actually hung out, we decided to make a Western. And we set the Western in New York City, called it an urban Western. Um, and put it online for free. We owned the entire experience. We didn't put it on YouTube. We created our own Flash player. Um, and just kind of put it out in the world. And uh, we won the Webby Award for Best Drama Series that year and got repped by UTA and features two of the 25 new faces of indie film by filmmaker and just, it was kind of a whirlwind for us. Um, and so, you know, we, we had known each other for a year at that point, but we went through this unbelievable experience of talking to every studio about our next project um, and doing that through the recession and, and learning the lessons of how hard this actually is and how we don't want to do things, how we don't want to be beholden to the studios to make the content that we want. And we don't want to ask for, for permission to make our art. And I think that's something that we're all kind of on the same page with is, is and to speak to Noah's point about what entrepreneur is, is not asking for permission, just doing it. You have a vision um, and it is just about executing that vision. 
Um, and so through, through those experiences, Ryan and I had, you know, lots and lots of meetings, lots and lots of free drinks, lots and lots of networking, um, and we came to become brothers, you know, and, and, uh, and we've been through the process together for, what is it, six or seven years now, um, and we kind of separated to work on our own projects um, and came back together as, as a result of Dogfish, um, and we're moving forward together. Um, the way our company kind of came together was really sort of organic, a lot of coincidences. Um, I had helped my partner David find financing for a film he produced. Uh, we met up last year and just kind of hit it off. Same taste in movies, both love The Thing and Blade Runner and things like that. So we had very, very similar sensibilities. And he told me about his friend James. He had produced his short films that had, you know, played festivals around the country. And I met James and, you know, we immediately bonded over, you know, loving uh, Place Beyond the Pines and all these other movies. And we were just like, it was kind of, you know, we, we broed out. And, uh, but all, the other important thing about our team was that we all had very, very different skill sets. James is, you know, an apprentice editor on James Gray's uh, latest film and, you know, several others. Uh, David has, you know, worked, you know, day-to-day -day set operations on every credit on his resume. You know, he's worked with, on films with $1,000 and films with $11 million. Um, so, and then I came from kind of a, pa a packaging and finance sourcing background uh, from Synetic. And uh, we all kind of just complimented each other. So. Well, I wish there was like some sort of master plan. It was, in a lot of ways, just coincidence, and that's been great. And you know, having that se that shared sensibility makes working together a lot more pleasurable, and makes doing this hard work of you know building an audience and a company a lot more fun and rewarding. If you like the people you're doing it with. Yeah. Amen. Love you, James. You're not even listening. <laughs> How about you, Hauser? How did you and Jessica come to be? Um, I went to uh, Columbia Film MFA, and Jessica was uh, the year below me, and she um, miraculously made a film a couple of years ago called Electric Children, uh, which my friend Becca Thomas uh, directed, and I uh, managed to convince her that I could be the post supervisor on that movie without having ever done it before. And um, but it went really well, and it was a really exciting opportunity for us because um, we were all right at the beginning of our career, and um, kind of the twofold approach was that was that I was able to get more post supervisor gigs after that film was over, but I also just had a really great. Uh, uh, connection with Jess and we complimented each other well. She's very good at um, networking and, and getting in front of the right people and finding the interesting projects and I'm better at um, the budgeting and the day-to-day -day managing of things. Um, so when this came up we just, you know, we've been out a couple of years working on movies together and it just seemed to be a good fit and when this came up we felt it was the right time to, to put a partnership together and, and try and make it on our own. Let's talk about tools, and let's get really specific. Um, I really want some people to leave here with practical knowledge they can take away. So what is out there that you found useful um, for marketing, distribution, basically anything that an entrepreneur working in content creation needs? What services do you like? What are the pros and cons of each of them? Um, I mean, Seriously, Facebook ads are incredibly helpful. You get, you know, geographic data. 
uh, you get age group data, you get all kinds of, the back end is really, really helpful. And um, that's helped us drive a lot of traffic to our, our website, which is basically a landing page right now that's sort of allows you to sign up for our email list where we're drip feeding content through MailChimp, which is another free service. And um, yeah, things like that have just been really, really helpful for us because we're basically starting something from nothing. So the cool thing was that having this money from Dogfish, we were able to shoot stuff we had to get done in our first film because the actor has to play another version of himself. It was going to get too cold and he had to wake up naked in the woods in upstate New York um, and things like that. So it's all of these kind of free tools have been really, really helpful in just understanding where our film is going to work because we want this film to play some theaters, but we understand that the one-size-fits-all mentality of distribution is changing. Um, you know, all the ancillary uh, networks and platforms that are available are, are hugely important, but um, there's also this idea of the, you know, event-based things is incredibly important, and we want to utilize that, and all this data is going to help us know where it's going to make sense to do that. So rather than, you know, playing at a film festival where, you know, three people show up to the screening and James is on stage, talking to himself, uh, you know, know where we, we have a better shot at having people show up, uh, having them join our email list, want to see the next films, things like that. Um, when you talk about teams, Section 2 is comprised mostly of partnerships with different companies who are doing really exciting things, and they've been invaluable in terms of the tools. A couple of weeks ago, we launched a channel on Go Watch It, which is a service that lists movies, and you're allowed to make cues no matter what distribution platform they're on. So any film that you want to see, you can add it to your queue, and they'll tell you when it's released on different platforms so that you can go watch it. Um, so. We're working with tools like that. Um, from the very beginning, we had a splash page on launchrock.co, which allows you to customize a page and collect email addresses, and then it gives you analytics about how many people are signing up, where they, come, where they came from. And one of the most important and exciting pieces of LaunchRock's analytics is they tell you who is referring you the most so that you can reach out and say thank you and really have a make a personal connection with some of your biggest evangelists and early adopters. Um, I mentioned before we're also using VHX and Gumroad, which are direct-to-fan distribution platforms that Noah talked about. And then we're also, in terms of building out community and using tools, um, social media is such a vague thing still right now, but um, on Tumblr specifically, we've found a, a community, and this there's a girl, her name is Lesbianist, and <laughs> anytime she anytime she posts about us or posts our trailer, um, she's tripled our email list three times in the last two months. So any sort of uh, tools where you can get people excited and have them work with you in tandem um, is absolutely helpful. Uh, yeah, on the social media side, I think uh, Hootsuite is really helpful to be able to schedule tweets and, you know, if you're sleeping and you want to be promoting something, you can <laughs> do that at the same time. Um, there's also some tools that will help you explore your followers and know who you want to target to maybe amplify your message. Uh, one of them is Fruji, F-R-U-J-I. Another is Crowdbooster, and there's probably about 30 others. Um, but I think also, you know, for filmmakers, tools are not just social media. Um, you know, you can also invest in other things like, for example, cameras. So one of the things I did is I bought a RED camera and I didn't have a lot of money, but how I did it is I went and applied for a credit card that had 0% interest for two years. 
So I went and I did that and I put a red on a credit card and then I sub-rented it through a rental house so that when they rent the camera out, I get 60% of that. So essentially I bought a red and over the course of 24 months, I paid zero dollars for it. So that was an entrepreneurial move um, and now I have a free camera that I can use. So it's not just about the social media, it's also about investing in uh, you know, professional tools that either if you're a cinematographer you can rent out for day rate or you can get clever with the financing of it. Uh, two quick shout outs. MailChimp is pretty obvious, um, but I manage a random free3dglasses.com list with 80,000 people on it. Um, you can customize the fields however you want. I'm kind of a picky pixel perfectionist, um, and you can really do whatever you want with, with the input fields. Uh, the most recent tool that I've had, I found really, really helpful, we have three incredibly complicated projects uh, with technology development and books and video games. and. Uh, and so to manage all of those timelines, a, a tool called Team Gantt, you make Gantt charts, and it's really the best way to actually visualize the timelines um, over five years and quarter by quarter, month by month, however granular you want to get. Um, but that's a big plug for them, Team Gantt, it's a good, it's a good product. Um, I just wanted to follow on what uh, Ali, Ali mentioned, Go Watch It, and she was doing it as a, as a channel, but as a filmmaker, it's a really great tool because, you know, we've, we've spoken to those guys, and you can get your film listed on there as early as possible. We have a Facebook page for a couple of our movies, My First Kiss. We're not even in production yet, but it's a way of, you know, basically you get a widget, you get it added to your website, you get it added to your Facebook page, and it's a way that um, you can, audience can immediately sign on to it, and they'll get an email when the film is finally released. Um, and so that's, all, you know, a great tool for a filmmaker as one, one tool in terms of seeing the numbers go up and seeing where, seeing your audience. And I know that they have a lot of analytics on the back end about where that audience is and stuff. And hopefully we can convince them to share it with us. And I'm just going to be really old school here. But uh, I think the greatest tool is, is other people, actually. Um, as anybody who has sat in, a, in an incubator with me for the last three months knows, I love to talk about my ideas and I like to talk about them often and out loud. Uh, and the reason why is, um, you know, everything we do is about audience and you should not be afraid of using the people around you as an audience. It, the best thing that can happen for you is that people poke holes in your ideas early because it doesn't mean that it's a bad idea. It means that there is a facet of this idea that you are not considering yet, um, that you are sometimes mistaking yourself and your own needs for your audience. And that is, I think, as content creators, that's a big no-no. You have to remember that you are not the audience. You know, somebody else is the audience and you're delivering something for them. And the more that you can take yourself out of that equation and the more that you can refine and reflect upon your ideas, uh, the stronger that that idea is going to be. So uh, this is a huge call for more transparency in film. Frankly, we should all be sharing ideas all of the time. Don't be worried that somebody's gonna steal your story or your numbers or your business plan. You just keep refining it until you do it better. You know, that's, I think that's the key. Uh, yeah, and going off of that, like the whole lab, lab mentality of Dogfish has been incredibly helpful. Like Andrew and I were talking about how if we got nothing else out of it other than the connections we've made and friendships we've made, that would actually be an incredibly worthwhile thing. Um, but also it's kind of like a way to, any problem you have in you know, working in a shared space, there's someone who can speak to that problem and has dealt with it before. You know, Andrew with Post, you know, these guys with New Media, uh, Michael with like, you know, exhibition and marketing, things like that. Uh, it's 
you know, you can solve any problem and uh, everybody's happy to help each other. So it's, it's a lot more collaborative and a lot less antagonistic, which I think is oftentimes a, a problem in, uh, in the filmmaking industry. I guess it worked. We just wanted to put a bunch of smart people in a room together and have them help each other. So um, let's talk about raising money and investors, do's and don'ts. What have you learned? What do you say? What do you not say? And what is, what's important about cultivating relationships with investors? Uh, I think it's really important to listen to your investors. Uh, I think it is, you know, investor relationships, it, they're just that, they're relationships, and you, so you have to manage that relationship. You have to manage expectations. You have to have an understanding of what your investor wants to get out of it, especially in film where people don't always invest necessarily because they're hoping to see a windfall. In fact, any savvy investor in film should not go into it for that reason, although we are all working hard here to create scenarios where there are real payouts and, and there is money to be made here for all of us. But listen to your investor. Uh, if, they're, if they're taking the time to listen to you, it's because something in what you're building has sparked something in them. It has sparked something personal in them. And they're going to probably offer you something really valuable, not just money, but advice that is going to guide that relationship and guide your project going forward. The only thing worse than getting up and talking to investors about lesbians is throwing in new distribution models <laughs> into the mix. Um, so the thing that I've really had a great time and like learned a lot is just knowing that choosing an investor is as important as choosing a project and making sure that you click and you have similar goals and similar interests in the long term. Um, Section 2 has a big potential for um, long-term growth, but we're really focusing on audience building and working directly with content creators so that um, these filmmakers don't make one film and then have to wait six or seven years to fundraise again. So we're really building out an ecosystem and finding people who are excited to buy into that idea and buy into this idea of sustainable careers for people that they've not met and we're just telling them are going to be awesome. It's been, um, it's been a lot of different conversations, but people from the, business, from the business world have been willing to step in and give us advice and really help along the way and help just in the vocabulary. And I think that's been a huge help. And it's always nice to know that you have options. Um, keeping the entrepreneurial mindset, I think it's important to know that if you're not feeling good about your investor, you know that you're a creative um, business and you'll be able to come up with another way to keep the lights on and keep moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think there are different kinds of investors and m maybe not every project should have investment. If you can make it really cheaply and own the experience all the way throughout, um, that can also be a very valuable route. Um, but, you know, for us as a, as a content and technology company, those two kinds of investors are typically very different. Um, a technology investor, if, if their options are something like Twitter and Facebook, they're looking at, um, you know, potential windfalls um, of, of, you know, 10, 20, 100 times the investment. And that just doesn't generally happen with content. Whereas in content investors, they might be investing for more personal reasons. They connect with you. Um, you know, they connect with the topic. They have a, an emotional resonance there. So in those cases, you need to be very clear about what kind of investment you're getting. Maybe in our case, a technology investor wouldn't be the right investor. They would you know, be pushing us to really focus on the tech side and make it a consumer product and a platform, whereas we want to tell stories with it. So having those conversations and just, you know, looking at it outside of the dollar figure and more about 
what they're looking to get out of the relationship and what you want, I think is uh, really valuable. Yeah, I mean, along those lines, being being open and honest with yourself about what your product is and, and your philosophy, your personal philosophy, exactly what Ryan just said, is we've had a lot of people who are interested in building this into something that we just don't want it to be. Um, and I think it's really important to stay true to what your original vision was. I mean, there's obviously always the opportunity to pivot if you see an opportunity somewhere else, but I think you need to be honest with yourself about what you want to make. <laughs> I think the takeaway from what you all said is that it's a partnership and that it's a two-way conversation and you don't have to be on opposing sides of the table. It can really be, you know, there can be trust there and collaboration. Um, before we open it up to the audience for questions, I, I want to talk about failing. So one last piece of, of conventional wisdom from startup culture is fail fast. And in the world of content creation, we tend to be really scared of failure. We don't like to talk about the times, those horrible movies that we got involved in somehow. Um, and when we you know, are networking, we, we like to talk about all of our big successes. But if you go to a you know, a Foursquare party, all the geeks are going to be competing over who failed better and sharing their fail stories. So. Would you all mind sharing uh, some of your biggest fails? Let's get this started. Let's, in the interest of being transparent, like Michael said. Uh, um, yeah, we we failed pretty big, and it, we didn't. We definitely didn't fail fast. <laughs> we failed really, really, really slow. Um, you know, I, I think the other the other kind of interesting facet of all of us is we all came we all came up in the industry through the recession which was an awful time to try to be making content try to be making new models trying to be doing something new and fresh innovative um, and so as a result of all those things I just mentioned we you know we had this amazing opportunity with Warner Brothers for a project uh, called Third Rail which is the project that we have in the accelerator uh, six years ago um, the recession happened and it we kept failing basically to make it happen um, and you know, we over the course of three years of not making it happen, we finally decided, okay, well, let's let's take a step back. Ryan really concentrated on, on building a film school. I took a job with Sony um, and had a you know built my career in that way. Uh, started working on Max and Charlie, the other property that we have. Um, and you know, now we finally see the opportunity to make make this thing happen again. So this project that we had six years ago um, is finally the, the timing is finally perfect right now. Um, and so it's it's about understanding. When it's not, when the timing's not right, um, and not being afraid to just kind of let it go and start working on other things and build your skills somewhere else. Uh, yeah, there was a very particular moment. Well, actually, there were a lot of particular moments <laughs> where we failed. Um, one of them was with the distribution of our web series that we kept it on our site instead of putting it on YouTube and Vimeo, and really, uh, we had no understanding then of social media, and that was a huge point of failure. And um, you know, now with building no film school sort of out of that failure we have um, you know on ten, hundreds of thousands of email addresses and Facebook followers and Twitter followers and all that so that was directly addressing a pain point because we learned that lesson the hard way uh, the other thing was that Zach and my first pitch that we'd ever pitched together was uh, on the lot at Warner Brothers. Like I almost parked in George Clooney's parking spot, <laughs> and it was it was a really high pressure situation. And man, did we fail that pitch! Oh like it was like a 45 minute synopsis of our script. It was just <laughs> terrible. 
Um, and you know, then a couple years later, not, well, later than we were um, on stage in London at a pitch competition, and we got second, which was zero dollars. And um, so we certainly learned the value of pitching throughout that process. And uh, you know, hopefully, we, we are much better at pitching now. Um, also, I think just failure is a really great point to ask yourself, why am I doing this, and and, and you know, why do I want to be a filmmaker? Um, so when we were having trouble getting third rail made, that was when I came back and thought about what project I wanted to do from my heart and from a, pat, from a, a, a standpoint of it being a personal passion. And that's when I started writing Manchild, which was just in the Sundance Screenwriters Lab. So it was all of these points of things that we weren't able to get made and that were not successful that have brought us to this point now with these other projects that are either have you know, commercial potential or are uh, you know, personal passion projects. Uh, yeah, I, you know, my, my first huge failure was my first feature. Uh, it was a script that I had been working on since I was 23 years old, and right before my 30th birthday, I was lucky to put together a small amount of financing for it, and because they responded to the material, I was able to get actors like Bobby Cannavale, June Rayfield, Danielle Panabaker, Josh Charles, and Lily Rape to come star in it. Uh, and it was a really, really, really beautiful movie uh, that got picked up by a traditional sales distributor, and then the economy collapsed and their whole plan for the film was it will go to Sundance or it will go to Toronto and then the movie didn't go to either place and they no longer knew what to do with it and the film got dumped. I mean the film got sold and it ended up on VOD and you know I've got a very lovely DVD of it at home um, but it was crushing. I mean it was crushing to explain to friends and to family why it didn't go to Sundance, why it didn't go to Toronto, why it didn't go to theaters uh, and out of that I thought there's got to be a way for me to control the process of where my film goes and what the narrative is, not just on the screen, but behind it as well and how the film is getting out there. And that led me to my second feature, um, a micro-budget exploitation movie that I made for no money with no stars um, and which I managed to sell direct to a distributor within a week of its festival premiere. Uh, and then that led me to Range Life and, and the work that I'm doing now, you know, that's the thing that evangelized me in terms of direct-to-fan and, and niche storytelling. Um, yeah, uh, one big moment of failure for me was when this film failed to come together that I had been a part of uh, basically at the last minute and there was a, you know, child actors involved. We, mi we missed our whole, and it was pretty crushing and, uh, you know, it was, we had, had been like high-fiving, you know, we were ready to do it. And, um, but kind of out of that, I guess I got a lot stronger in my resolve to do things. And as a result, last summer I was able to produce a film that I you know, had been a part of since we did a Kickstarter uh, about a year and a half ago now, maybe two years. Um, and so I think it was, it was really helpful in just being like able to pick yourself back up because that's a really, really big part of the industry is, is you know, failing to get together something and then you know, moving on to something else. You just have to do it. There's no other choice or change industries. Well, there you have it. Failure is an amazing opportunity to learn. And oh wait, did you get to do yours? I haven't gone yet. Go. More failure. She failed to go. <laughs> I failed to go. I failed the bar. <laughs> um, I think the big thing that has come up a lot during section two and kind of getting our feet wet and understanding how to launch a company with tech that isn't invented yet and things like that is um, just being a little too precious with the idea and not getting out there fast enough. And that's really a failure just um, on the part of not having enough courage to go ahead and push it out even though you don't 
I don't feel ready because I don't, who knows if that's gonna come. I think um, our big philosophy is just like, as the stakes get higher, we don't want to be too precious with our ideas or with us. Like we don't wanna take chips off the table um, just because the stakes are getting bigger. We wanna keep going all in. We know we're gonna have to do it um, more than once more than once in a while probably and just having just reminding ourselves of that and doing that because anything else is really failure like not being brave enough to do it thank you um so i'd like to open it up to the audience for questions hi i'm jason ward um i'm actually um, with candy factory productions a distribution company one of the one of the uh sponsors here and um uh, my failure was definitely my first film. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing as far as producing it. Um, it, uh, you know, it kind of went nowhere. Um, <laughs> I hired a deaf guy to be the main character, and he wasn't deaf in the movie, and so we would say cut, and he would keep going. <laughs> it was great. It, it all worked out, but it was like wasted a lot of time. <laughs> But um, I, guess, I guess I have more of a statement than a question, and I guess my statement is this. I was actually at Dogfish Demo Day, where you guys really presented your presentations, your businesses, your business models, like what you wanted to do. And I have never heard something more succinct, well thought out, where you were going um, as from you guys. And, and I, I think that we all can learn from that, that if we put more time into thinking who our audience is and where we wanna go, and really learn from your experience, because not everybody's lucky enough to be a part of Dogfish Accelerator, although we all want to be, because it's incredible what, what you guys have done. Um, but if we can spend more time thinking about where we wanna go and what we wanna do with our films, with our art, who our audience is, I, I think we can learn from from what you guys have said today um, my question is after we make it what's the best way to get it out there well uh, for starters uh, by crowdfunding on Indiegogo I presume that you've already built up a tremendous amount yes, of data around part of the reason we did that we've got an audience that now. wants to be interacting with you and your movie so yeah. the key is not thinking about it as an after I think you have to be thinking about this as an ongoing you've built this list you're about to go make a movie you need to and this goes back to investor relationships just because they're crowdfunding you doesn't mean that they're not your investors they're still your investor and you still need to manage that relationship and that management means that you've got to stay on top of of releasing material to that audience about your film throughout the production process, whether it's updates, whether it's exclusive behind the scenes content. Mm -hmm. I hope that you're thinking now about who's doing your EPK and, and where money is coming to generate stills on set and, and any other kinds of I materials. I am right now because you said that. <laughs> and then, you know, I think the other thing that you should be thinking about, and this is the thing that I think all filmmakers need to be thinking about, you know, Range Life's model was that we reverse engineered our audience. We made a film, we thought they were college kids, we've turned, it turned out that we were right, and now we've helped on to that audience and we now know that we can bring any piece of content out to that audience. We created a platform that allows us to constantly get out to that audience. What that also means is that we never make a film when we're producing films ourselves that doesn't have a built-in print and advertising fund. And a thing that I think all filmmakers have to be thinking about now is how you're going to ha handle the marketing of the, the film yourself. Right. And whether that means that you are going to pay yourself a salary for a year to ensure that your film gets booked and marketed and advertised in all the markets that you want to hit, whether that means that you're paying somebody else to do that under your close supervision. You need that negotiating piece uh, at the table, even if you hope that what's going to happen with your 
distributed film is that a traditional traditional distributor is going to sweep in because you do have that Sundance premiere, you do have that Toronto premiere. Um, you're still co coming to the table then to negotiate against a, a distributor with a tremendous chip and saying, I've got the, the resources to, to market this myself and retain all of this myself. How are you going to top that? What's the minimum guarantee that you're going to offer? How are you going to uncross these revenue streams on my behalf? How are you going to make this worth my while? So what you should be thinking about now is constantly maintaining that relationship with your audience and knowing that the next step is marketing that film. What are the resources that you need to do so? Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think uh, following on from that, you know, it's actually... In, you know, with the, the modern age and te technology available, the distribution is not the heartbeat of it at all. It's, it's the cultivating of the audience and it's the marketing of the, and, and finding that movie. So, um, you know, you just need to be aware, even if you do something like a VHX, you do a Gumroad or you do a, uh, even Vimeo now, um, you need to find, you need to find something, you need to find marketing money to do that. and. Uh, something that, that Dogfish has really pushed us with is with all the budgets of our movie is to build that in from the early stage and have that money available uh, to do that from the get-go. Uh, you know, obviously there's different points where more money is needed, but um, just really considering that. And, and, you know, I believe that that is a good negotiation tool when you come to a distributor. Uh, obviously, you know, you guys get seed money and the, you, the point of that seed money is to use it to hopefully raise more money. What was the outcome for all of you? We obviously don't need specific numbers, but would you consider it a success or maybe less uh, of a success than you were hoping for? And also, what is a piece of advice that you guys would offer to future Accelerator participants? You know, the outcome is, of course, a lot of conversations. and. Uh, I mean, maybe somebody has, you know, raised their entire slate, and <laughs> I don't know about that yet. But, you know, I think it's, it's probably too early to say what the outcome of it was. Um, and, of course, on the other side, there's no way to be able to measure, uh, you know, one of the things you do in the accelerator is you meet a lot of mentors, and you have, I don't know how many hundreds of meetings. So in that process, that's a very valuable Rolodex building experience, and, and um, those people then you loop back to after the holidays and Sundance. So I think, you know, for me, for us, certainly it's too early to say what, um, you know, the next step is. Or Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's early right now, but certainly the conversations have picked up in a really kind of nice fashion since, you know, the lull of the holidays is over. Uh, but um, in terms of advice, uh, I think really understand your weaknesses early. Um, I kind of learned a lot over the summer and was able to recognize that. And our team was able to kind of, you know, pivot responsibilities and things like that as the applications kept going. Um, and that that really benefited us. Uh, it made, instead of trying to assume that all, you know, I knew everything, I was much more willing to uh, accept that I didn't. So. I think one of the biggest successes coming out of Dogfish has just been, for, for me personally, um, my board is has been what... It's an impressive group of people, but they've also taken such a personal interest and stake in the company and have really just taken it upon themselves to make sure that they're available when I need them and introducing me to people as needed and just like, it's been one of those experiences where like, no one is definitely gonna say like, oh, a lesbian thing. Like no one can say that it's a bad idea because they don't want to be um, labeled <laughs> insensitive. <laughs> But um, the extent to which people have like 
checked in on a regular basis and just make sure that I had everything that I need. Um, it's just a testament to the group of mentors that Dogfish was able to get on board and also their commitment to making sure that the next generation is going to keep the film industry going. So I think it's been great. So if you want to learn more about the Accelerator program, we're uh, hanging out at that booth with Candy Factory and Big Vision Empty Wallet. So come see us. And thank you all for coming. All right.